All righty, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And of course, we've been, the last few weeks, we've been dealing with the advent of Christ, of Jesus' coming. And today we get to look at another aspect of one of the reasons why Christ came. And we know that Jesus came to save such as us, sinners, born into wretchedness, and to redeem those who were under the law. But there's other reasons. And so I've entitled this sermon, Other Sheep. So let's read. We're going to pick it up. I want to draw your attention to verse 21 through 24, starting. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Many people have wondered, and maybe some do to even now, why eight days? It's kind of a twofold reason. The first one is, is very uh, physical. A baby has the ability to coagulate blood on the eighth day, which in God knowing that, of course, uh, put it in there. But the main reason is actually found in the book of Leviticus, and it's in chapter 12. I'm going to read it for you. There in verse 2, he says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days according to the days of the separation for her infirmity shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So, the fact that Joseph and Mary submitted to this particular rite shows that they were devout Jews. They, they, were, they were sold out. You know, they, they were obedient to the word. But because they submitted to it in in course, obviously, Jesus was actually submitting to it himself, even in his birth, which I think is amazing when you think about it. Now, some will say, well, the Jews, all Jews kept the law. Uh, I got news for you. Not true. And at this time, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 4, starting with verse 22. Now, I want to point out to you that Moses, the very one who would ascend Mount Sinai, and bring the law to the nation of Israel in his years before, of course, was a man who walked in disobedience. As far as following the direction that God had long before given them, before it ever turned into a law. Look at with me, if you will. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. It says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. If you're taking notes, you need to make note of that. Israel is my firstborn. I love that. Israel is my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass by the way in the inn 
that the Lord met him, that is Moses, and sought to kill him. And Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou unto me. And so, he, and so she let him go, and then he said, or excuse me, she said, the bloody, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. I, th- I find it interesting, personally, that God chose Moses as an instrument through which he would deliver his firstborn, Israel, from the bondage of Egypt before he was consecrated as a prophet unto God, at least as he would become later. God called Moses at a time when Moses was walking in rebellion. Now, it's not in my notes, I'm going to give it to you for free. God called all of us when we were in rebellion to him. The whole world is in rebellion to him. Last week we talked a little bit about the fact that men, when we're born, we're born into this wretched state. You know, people wonder, you know, what makes a man a sinner? Uh, his birth makes him a sinner. The fact is, sinning does not make a man a sinner. You sin because you are one. You do what you are, which is why we need a Savior, which is why we needed deliverance. So God calls us, even while we were yet sinners, the Bible said Christ died for the ungodly, for those who were in rebellion against God. So God calls Moses even in the Old Testament at the same time when he was walking in rebellion. Now there's often, I think, a point of confrontation in life with leaders that God has chosen where he demands that they set aside compromise in their life before he will ever take them to the fruition of what it is that he has called them to do. I've had the great privilege of knowing many, many pastors and, and, and men who I really believe were seriously called of God and have done great things in the name of the Lord and have had them share with me the same experience that they had compromised in their life when God called them into the ministry. You know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It isn't your ability that God's looking for. He's looking for your availability. So often many people, I think, miss an opportunity to minister simply because they don't make the time. You know? The prophets say, here I am, Lord, send me. I've had people say, well, what makes you so special? Nothing. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of being called by God. God uses nobody. Remember Moses spent 40 years in Egypt thinking he was somebody to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert realizing he was a nobody to come before the burning bush at 80 years old having God called him so he could show him that he takes a nobody to do something extraordinary. So once again, my wife was downloading these past sermons that I had done and one of them I did was called If You're Old, You're Ready. And I remembered it, and she was like, what picture should I use for this? Of course, it was an old man. I said, that's appropriate. So often we think that churches, you know, if they're not filled with young people or a dying church, not so, my friends, not so. 
Do we need young people? Yes, we want to share the gospel with them. But we need mature believers in Jesus Christ who can stand up and who can take them under their wings and nurture them into maturity so that they in turn will be able to do the same down the road. Paul told Timothy, I have taught you, brethren, so that you in turn might be able to share and to teach other men who are worthy also. So it's a great thing that we have a mature congregation. Moses was 80 years old when he finally came to fruition. But in the beginning, it wasn't that way. But he still, even in his 80 years, when he was that old, even at this time in his life, when God's ready to use and to do something great in his life, he had compromise in his life. How about you? You got compromise? You know, are you compromising something? Listen to me. If you want to see God do something great in your life, lay it aside. It isn't worth it. My friends, I'm telling you right now, I am sorely convinced that we are living in the last days. You know, you can't, listen, was there never a time in your life, whether you're sitting here or whether you're listening to me by radio, ask yourself, have you ever seen a time in history when men didn't know that they were men? When gender was actually a question? When you couldn't simply just look in the mirror after you got out of the shower and figured it out? Now you've got professors in college that argue the point. It's madness. It's demonic, I'm telling you. Why? Because the Bible says in the last days that they would depart from the truth. Not just the truth of the Word of God, but truth. Universal truth. They would depart from it. We're seeing it. So as ministers, because that's what we all are, right? The, 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 the joke is around here, who's the minister in Calvary Chapel? Every hand ought to go up. And I'm the mouthpiece, no doubt. But what's minister mean? It means servant. We're all servants. We're all called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes there's things in our lives that hinder that. And Moses had this one in his life. And God was preparing to do something great in his life. But he, had, he wanted him to set that aside before he would take Moses and really do something great. We're not told why Moses had failed to carry out the divine instruction concerning circumcision. Doesn't tell us why he didn't do it. But in his own mind, I'm sure, as the rest of us do with the things that we compromise on, he justified it. God didn't justify it. In God's mind, it was a problem. And we're going to see why. It's possible, and I offer this simply in my humble opinion, that the reason that Moses was disobedient to the statutes that God had already established was because of his wife. Ladies, don't get mad at me. I say that because Zipporah was not a Jew. She was not an Israelite. And it very well may be that Zipporah had a disdain, you see, for the practice of circumcision. Why? Well, it's a bloody practice. But it's a necessary one in the heart of God for the Jew. And it could be that Moses simply failed to do what God had instructed him to do because he sought to please his wife. Another one that's not in my notes, I'm going to give it to you for free. Men, men, listen to me. God has called you, called you to be the man of your household, to be the pastor of your home, to lead, to guide, 
to protect, to provide, to do all those things. But first and foremost, to lead that family that God has entrusted to you in the ways of the Lord. So often, you look in churches, and those who are listening to me know I'm telling the truth. Look around in the congregation that you're sitting in. You'll notice that the majority of them are women. Now, ladies, that's a plus, but it's a minus in the eyes of God because men have not stepped up to the plate. And we're coming into a time and an era when it's becoming more and more prevalent where men are taught to be not men. You're taught to reach for your feminine side. I don't think I... I that is the most... I heard a preacher preach this one time. And... <laughs> It was all I could do to sit there. I was at a conference this many, year, many years ago, and <laughs> the most absurd thing I ever heard in my life. But I did tell him afterward, he stood talking about how men were born. That's why God created woman, and, you know, to kind of separate his feminine side and put it in. Why? Well, I said, listen, I'm not aware that a man has a feminine side. Let me speak for myself. I'm not aware that I do. And I meant it. That's ridiculous. Men, be men. The Bible says, Quit ye like men. Step up to the plate. Be a man of God. Be one that will lead. Your wife wants you to. Ladies, am I kidding? Am I lying? You want your men to lead. Am I right? Step up. Listen, if you're going to, if you're going to lead in the ways and the things of God, you need to know the Word of God. It's not enough to just have the big picture. You need to know the Word of God. You have to. I'm not picking I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you as men. Do what's right. Moses was seeking to please his wife. Listen, there's nobody wants to please his wife any more than I do. You know, the old adage is happy wife, what, man? Happy life, right? There's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. But the bigger truth is, is that if you lead your wife in the happiness and the joy of the things of the Lord, then you'll know true happiness. Then you'll know what it is to walk in the fullness of what God has called you to do. So Moses, it's possible, I'm saying, that the reason he didn't do for his own son what God had called him to do was because he was seeking at that moment to please his wife, or at least at the bare minimum, not to upset her. Men, sometimes you've got no choice. Sometimes you've got no choice. If your wife is not doing that which is right in the sight of God. Stand up. Listen, don't be afraid to express love with authority. You know, listen, the Bible says share due benevolence one to the other. No doubt we have respect. I respect my wife. My wife is my, I, wouldn't, I couldn't do ministry without my wife. I couldn't do it. I watch her laboring over things that just don't matter to me. I mean, I, do I know that the, the website's important? Yes, I do. You know, before we had like 37,000 people every month, you know, downloading my sermons. Yeah, I know that they're important. But if I had to do it, <laughs> it just wouldn't get done. So I appreciate what my wife does. How be it? I want to be obedient to the Word of God. I want to lead. You know, I want to do what God has called me to do. Do what God's called you to do. Especially if you're a young husband. Especially. You know, you've got years ahead of you. You know, Moses was an old man by this time, and he still had compromise in his life. There were still things that God had directed him to do that he had not done. So if you want to see the fullness of God in your life, I don't care how old you are, 
and you're a married man, lead. But do that through the word of God. Get into the word of God and learn it. The Bible says, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do we screw up? Every day we do. But our desire is to do those things which is pleasing to the Lord and to lead our families in the way of godliness, in the way of his word. So my point is Moses himself, even though he had not done what God had called him to do, he wasn't the only one, you see. He wasn't the only Jewish guy who hadn't circumcised his son. Yet Jesus himself, from his birth, was obedient in everything. Later on in his ministry, Jesus would say, I do always those things which please the Lord. Man, I wish I could say that. I know I can't. I want to, but in Christ, I know that I can. Because it's not me that's doing it. It is Christ that is in me. And it's what he has done on my behalf that allows me to know and to walk in the assurance that my life is pleasing in the sight of God because it's not me that he's looking at. He's looking at Christ. Moses did part of it, but Jesus did it all. The reason God had a problem with Moses, you know, when you think about it, you know, why would God have made it such a big issue? I mean, the Bible does say there in Exodus that he sought to kill him. That means God was pretty upset. He didn't do it, but he had a problem with what Moses was not doing. Why? Because Moses would be the one who God was using to go up on that mountain and eventually deliver the law. It's a problem when God wants you to do something that he wants you to tell other people. You remember Jesus said, and this is one that's always misquoted, judge not, lest ye be judged. People always throw that out when they're wallowing in perdition and you're trying to point it out to them. You know, they don't, they don't like it. Judge not. Well, that's not what he was talking about. Read on, my friend. Read on. Because what Jesus said was, remove the plank first from your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in thy brother's eye. What he's saying is, don't be a hypocrite. Thou that teachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? That's all he's saying. See, he couldn't use Moses to deliver the law which would contain the right of circumcision legally when Moses himself hadn't kept it. God will not tolerate in the ministry a hypocrite. Now let me define that for you. A hypocrite is a person who knowingly says one thing and knowingly does another. I've heard people tell me, well, I don't go to church because there's all kinds of hypocrites, and my answer's always been the same. Well, come on in, brother. There's room for one more. <laughs> what they usually mean is that I met some Christian down the road who did something hypocritical. Well, doing something hypocritical doesn't make you a hypocrite. Most of us wind up doing things hypocritically because we simply don't know that what we're doing is hypocritical. In our own mind, my own sin always looks pretty good. It's your sin I have a problem with. That's not being a hypocrite. That's just being self-deceived. But when you knowingly, because what's the word mean in the Greek? It means actor, right? That's what it means. A hypocrite's an actor. So, he couldn't have Moses not doing something that God himself 
would later require for all of mankind at that time, the Jews, to, to, to practice. Thus, circumcision was an outward sign that one was in subjection to the law. Circumcision and purification ceremonies were also reminders that we were all born in sin. The psalmist said this in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, Jesus obviously could, could have been excused from the right of circumcision because he was not born in sin. His father was not Adam. He wasn't born of a man. His father was God. He didn't carry the DNA of sin. He had no sin nature. Thus, he lived a perfect, sinless life and could have been excused. But from a baby, Jesus began to identify with sinners as he did his, in the rest of his life, in his baptism, in his death on the cross. Thus, it's clear to see that Jesus, who knew no sin, was already in his circumcision made sin for us according to the Scriptures. And at only eight days old, he was already being numbered with the transgressors. Mary had brought forth her firstborn son, a lamb without spot or blemish. Barely a week old, he had already begun to bear the sins of many. He began here in the temple and will continue every day of his life to lead a life of absolute obedience to the word and the will of the Father. Let me throw this in. Coming up, we're coming very close to the end of the year. And for all Jews around the world, we start looking forward to Passover. I love Passover. I can't wait to get back to where we can practice it properly and to share that. You know, we had it in the last place that where we used to meet. We, we got to do it one time there, and it was a great turnout. So many people are blessed by it when they actually see how Jesus is, you know, represented in all the elements of the Passover. But keep this in mind. That Jesus Christ, from the moment that he was a baby, he sat through 33 of them. And all 33 of those Passovers pointed him and to, 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 the, to the cross and to, and to all that he came to do. And, and think about it as a child, as a young boy. Jesus would have been the one who was asking the four questions that are asked at every Passover. And he would have known. He would have known that it was pointing him to the cross that has always struck me and it's just something about the Lord that causes me to love him even more he was a, 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 a lamb without spot or blemish it's interesting to note that when Mary and Joseph presented Jesus at the temple that they offered as a sacrifice two turtle doves back in the book of Leviticus in chapter 12 the law actually required that when a woman gave birth to a man-child, that a lamb, a spotless lamb, was to be offered. Unless you were poor. And so it's kind of an eye-opener, an insight into the financial state, if you will, of our Savior. He was born into humble means, of people who were of humble means. So Luke goes on here, if you're following along in verses 25 through 34, and he gives us a very interesting encounter with one of the temple priests who I absolutely love. 
verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was a just and devout. If you take a note, you need to make note of that. Simeon was a just and devout. The Bible does not use the word devout lightly. And when it's used, it's never used in a bad way. It's always used in a good way. Devout means pious. He was a godly man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him. Keep it in mind, this was before the book of Acts. This is before the day of Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit was only given severally as he willed at that particular time. But Simeon was one of those type of priests who had it. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, let now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Simeon was a man of God who waited for the consolation of Israel. It's an interesting word, consolation, here, because in the Greek it's paraklesis. It's not far from the word paraklete, which is also the Greek word which describes the act of the Holy Ghost, the comforter. So in this word here, it means comfort. He was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. Why? Because he knew the prophecy. He knew that the Messiah was coming, and the Lord had specifically told Simeon, you're going to see the one, the anointed one, the Christ, before you die. And so Simeon is an old man. He is a temple priest who performed circumcisions and all the other things that went along with it. But he wasn't a hypocrite. He was a devout man a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Lord had spoken directly to him. So on this particular day, the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Ghost, led Simeon into the temple to see the fulfillment that God had promised to him, that he would behold with his own eyes before his death the one who would bring comfort, not only to Israel, but really to the whole world. When Simeon saw Jesus, he took him into his arms. I love that passage. And it says, because even at this stage, Simeon was filled with his love for the Savior. Here's this old man who knew of the Savior. He knew of the anointed one, of the Messiah. He knew of him. He knew that he was coming. But when he saw him, he really knew nothing about him. He really knew nothing about his parents. He knew nothing. But at that moment he saw him, he loved him. And he took him in his arms. And man, he just, he just fell in love with him. It made me wonder. It's like, you know, here we are so many centuries later. And we claim that we know so much more about who Jesus was. And we do. 
We know so much more about his purpose and, and what he came to do. And we know so much more about his parents. And we know so much more. But do we love him anymore than this old priest who, when he saw him, he blessed the Lord. And it just broke his heart in a good way that he was fortunate that God had blessed him so much that he would see the Messiah before he died. Simeon recognized the Messiah, the anointed one, salvation of the world, which God had prepared before the face of the whole world. How did he do that? Through prophecy. The scriptures had foretold the coming of the Messiah from the very beginning of time. It wasn't a secret. Simeon had been privileged to see this fulfillment. Now Simeon declared in his statement that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles and, and would be the glory of Israel. It's interesting when you think back there in Exodus 4 that God said that his son, his firstborn son, Israel, remember I told you to take note of that. God speaks of Israel as his firstborn son, which means that he had others coming. He had others coming. Now, some Bibles, some Catholic Bibles, remove the word firstborn. That's a whole thing about textual criticism. I'm not going to get into it. But let me say this. It's a bad translation to remove it. Why? The only reason they removed it, gang, is because the Catholic doctrine teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she was not the first, that Jesus was not the firstborn, he was the only born. But we know that Jesus had brothers. James was one, Jude was one, there was others. We know this. So when he uses the word firstborn, it means something. It means that there's more to come. Israel, in Exodus 4, is God's firstborn. More to come is what it indicates. In John chapter 10, verse 16, it says, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And he says, Other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And I love that verse. Before the cross, my friends, you, most of you know, there was only two types of people. There were Jew and Gentile. But after the cross, there was only the church made up of Jew and Gentile. But we're, the Bible's very clear that we're all one in Christ. There's neither Greek nor Jew nor male nor female nor Scythian nor barbarian. We're all one in the Lord. Because after the cross, that's what, that's what happened. Christ, the great unifier of his body, of his bride. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, verse 10 and 11. He says, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In just a few minutes, we're going to be singing a song, Silent Night. Within that song, it declares, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. You see, when Jesus came, he came not only to save them which are lost, not only 
to redeem them who were under the law and in bondage and sin. But he came to acquire a bride. Thus he was and has chosen from among the Jews and the Gentiles a people who are after his own heart. We call them the church, the called out ones. Jesus calls them his bride. So the question I want to pose to you this morning, are you a part of the church? You'll notice in Exodus 4 that God said Israel was his firstborn son. Because in a very real way, Jesus is the product of the Israels. Paul said, what profit is there in being a Jew? Much in every way, he said, because unto them were given the oracles of God. And also because through them came the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one that Simeon held in his hands and blessed the Lord that he got to see. Well, we've gotten to see him too. We know him better than most. We, knew, we know him better than Simeon did. But has it made a difference in your life, my friend? What difference has it made? Can you honestly say this morning that you're part of it? Are you part of that? Or are you still just a Gentile or a Jew? Or are you part of the church? The called out ones, the ones who have placed their faith and their trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who has made us one in him.